welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined today by Benji Harmon, MTM contributor and previous guest of the podcast. Good to have you back, Benji. Yes, thank you, Sean. Your timing is quite fortuitous because I feel the need to uh, correct the record based on last uh, week's discussion on uh, Sinesta, which oddly came up. I didn't expect it to come up. All right, so Joe and I were discussing the hotel points, your ranking of hotel points, non-cents per point. So you were looking at the value of hotel points without looking at the cents per point value. And you put Sinesta on the list at number eight. That's the last spot on the list. And uh, what did we say about it that uh, upset you? Well, first I can tell how carefully you read the post, but it was perceived as my top eight favorite programs, which I think is, uh, I guess, maybe a little on me. Maybe I should have made it more clear there, but it's basically the, the major points earning primary programs uh, that most of our hobbyists use. And <laughs> I think your wording was, Sinesta is my eighth favorite. Well, I guess it is... I mean, wait, wait, wait. It's right number eight. It's your eighth favorite. Come on. It is at the very bottom of all uh, eight programs I listed. So I guess you could, you know, potato, potato, whatever, but that's fine. And I ironically stated that their limited footprint is a positive because their properties are so terrible. So I'll leave it at that. We can move on. I, I won't hold any grudges beyond the next 45 minutes or so. So how many Sinesta properties have you stayed at? I really don't know a lot about this chain at all. I know their co-branded card came on the scene. I think you got it. And I think you've stayed at some, but Joe and I hadn't stayed at any, so we have no reference. This is where you can cue the laughter. A big donut. I've stayed at none so far. I have some points, and they're actually going to expire here at the end of the year, so I will need to get the stay in. And I won't call this one a mistake going into this program. It's just things have changed, and you know I'm not needing them as much as I thought I would. Well, uh, we're still looking for anybody who's ever stayed at a Sinesta property. So anybody out there listening, if you've ever stayed, uh, let us know. But you put it on the list. Did they... Did it even need to be on the list, I guess is the question. If it is on the list, then it becomes a favorite of yours. Oh, okay. Apparently, according to how you define it. So uh, I'll remember that next time, Sean. But I would say the obvious joke here is that everyone stayed at a Sinesta, except it was a, uh, before it was a Sinesta, it was a, a Marriott Courtyard or a Staybridge Suites or, you know, whatever, a Wyndham low-end property. So I think we've all stayed at a, a Sinesta in their previous lives. So that's where lower mid-tier hotels go to die is a Sinesta. I guess. Yeah, surely not with choice, though, but we'll get to that. Yeah, so we'll talk about choice a little bit later. They're growing, and uh, it's an interesting program because a lot of people, all they see is the crappy U.S. properties, and they're like, I never want to touch choice. But this program has made a lot of moves in the last few years, and they continue to make moves. And uh, it's not just, you know, your very, very low-end properties. There's other things as well, you know, once in a while. So we'll talk about choice a little bit later. But you've been traveling a lot. Where where have you been recently? Let's see. Recently, a few here and there short trips, probably not worth the time of the podcast, but sort of, I don't want to say major, but a cross-country trip I made out to the uh, Southern California area, and it was to see some friends, but also experience some products I haven't experienced. And one of those was Flagship First. As you know, that's, a, that's an experience that's going to be changing here in early 2024, it's looking like, barring any delays. A major reason I wanted to do that, I was on the fence trying that product out. I wanted to, you know, I'm trying to fall in love with air travel again, at least domestically. We're not as doing as much 
international travel currently with our little ones. But I knew that that's a flight that, you know, would sort of bring back the romance to domestic travel, uh, air travel. I think that might be an oxymoron a bit. But what really put me interested in doing this was access to the uh, Chelsea Lounge in JFK. And did it live up to the hype? I flew this product, uh, I don't think, I think it was 2015. So it was a long time ago. And it's sad to see it go, although I sort of understand why they're getting rid of it. Uh, But those planes are interesting because they have a dedicated first class product which is what similar would you say to international business class? I would say a very similar seat to that. Then they have a business class product, which is a lie flat two and two seat. And then of course they have premium economy or main cabin extra and regular. For me, it's the best way to fly. I haven't tried the new mint, tried the old mint quite a few times. I think a flagship first was definitely better than that. So it's sad to see it go. So let's start. How was the Chelsea lounge? Was it worth making the whole trip just for that? Uh, it wasn't just for that, but like I said, it did play a role. I would say it it was worth it in my experience. I know there's been very polarizing views of the experience in the lounge there. And to be clear, the Chelsea Lounge is a co- uh, cooperation between American and British Airways to create these lounges. The three are now in JFK, the Chelsea, the Soho, and the Greenwich, which is the old flagship first, uh, is part of the, the Greenwich Lounge. But as far as the, the Chelsea Lounge, it really comes down to, I think, two things. The quality of the staff at the time you're there, and secondly, the volume uh, of people that are there at any given time. Both worked out great for me. And I think I, I've read people talking about, you know, seeing you know, workers on their phones, bored. I, I didn't experience any of that. Although I could see why anyone would be bored working because when I was there, uh, I walked in and there was one other person there in the Chelsea Lounge. So they were very uh, attentive, almost too much so. Like uh, I hadn't even put my bags down and I was being offered a menu to order off of. I hadn't, like, I was just getting my bearings. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's great. I like that proactive aspect too. I'd rather have that than not enough help. But that aspect, uh, you know, I, I think uh, was was throughout the stay at the Chelsea. And I was there for a good uh, count of six hours to get the full experience. I fit two meals in. I feel like that's a dynamic that's unique to miles and points. I guess travel people in general is that we'll go and hang out. I haven't done this in a while, but I definitely used to do it a lot back in the day is I would purposely schedule time to go hang out in really nice lounges if I had access to them. So I, you know, the regular lounges, you know, Admirals Club, stuff like that. I don't really spend a lot of time there if I don't have to. Obviously, on layovers, you'll spend some time there. But a lot of people in this hobby, they'll book a six-hour stay at a very nice lounge so that they can really enjoy it and get that experience. It's almost like some lounges become part of a bucket list. Yeah, for me, this one definitely was, especially because this might be my only opportunity to visit it. And, you know, the property had a couple different feels to it. You know, it felt like one big restaurant to me, one big nice restaurant in a good way. They served the entire menu throughout the lounge no matter if you're in sort of the lounge area versus the formal dining area help is available throughout you don't have as many grab and go options obviously that's a bit low rent for this lounge it's not meant to be that way there was a few small things you could grab you you really don't need to resort to those because if you're eating the right way your your meals in the lounge are gonna suffice you know the champagne bar is great the service is great the showers were mediocre but that's fine they were fine enough and i definitely recommend it and if you want to take advantage of this for lack of a better term on a budget option 
you can access it via flagship first transcontinental flights. And uh, obviously, if you're leaving JFK to uh, points west in California, those passengers do have access. This is primarily a lounge for international travelers, but there right now is that little carve out for domestic people on flagship first flights, specific ones. And that may change. When we go to a two-class product, it's going to be flagship business, I think is what they're going to call it, Sean. And there's going to be business plus where I think people can buy into it. I'd be surprised if we'd be able to buy into it with miles, though. Yeah, it's interesting. A, a downgrade, I'm sure. Uh, however, they work it out. I haven't been to that lounge. I have been to the to the first class lounge. I think the last time was in 2019, so it was uh, before they renovated everything. Although it had been renovated in the early 2010s to when they had the flagship dining and the flagship first. So I think they've just sort of renamed stuff and changed stuff around a bit. But it's a definitely a good lounge, or it was back when I went there. Sounds like they made it even better. So how did you enjoy the flight experience? Was it worth going through all of this to finally get to fly that product? I liked it fine enough. Clearly, there's better stuff out there internationally. You compared it to international business, I'd say that maybe, or an aged first product internationally. You could definitely see a little wear and tear. I like the whole aspect being on a narrow body aircraft with such a small first class section as far as, I think it's eight seats, very small, three class aircraft domestically. That's like an endangered species. I think this may be the last one. So that was a cool option. I didn't really eat anything on the plane at all. And at first I was like, oh, I wish I would have tried that. But looking back, I would have rather done it the way I turned out. It worked out the way it should have, where the best best food is going to be on the ground in the lounge not to dwell on the the, the the fine options in the lounge there with the restaurant but i'd rather do that than the quality of the food which was you know it's airplane food basically skipped out on that i found the seat a bit firm for my taste i love all the lumbar support they gave with the pillows and blankets and all that good stuff it was a nice experience one i'm glad i did i won't do it again which is quite convenient because it won't be offered much longer you know what people don't ever talk about but i think is a really kind of neat product is that business class on that plane because it's definitely a step up above domestic first class on other planes because it's a lie flat seat so it's almost about the same amount of space as a domestic first class seat because it's two and two seating but you have a lie flat seat a big screen and stuff and i always thought for the right cost i guess that would be a really good product to fly if you weren't quite going up to the first class it's still better than you know domestic first of course american still flies wide body planes uh, on many routes in the u.s now uh, post-covid so there are opportunities to get international seats domestically but it just depends on the route and I think that they really are focusing on certain cities. Las Vegas used to have a lot of wide bodies during COVID and they're all pretty much gone. But cities, you know, Miami, I think they're flying a lot of their wide bodies between their hubs like Miami and Dallas and uh, Dallas, Los Angeles, stuff like that. So uh, always take a look, but it's always good because who wants to go and fly domestically on a boring seat, right? At least you can do something exciting. And did you check out any lounges in LA? On the way back, uh, yes, I did. LAX, Delta Sky Club, I think they call it the Skyway, right? That's a remarkable lounge. And I still shake my head that we have access to such a great lounge with a mass appeal credit card like the, uh, or pay over time card like the Amex Platinum. Just all the different options there for food and drink, a lot of different seating options you know well-staffed bar i walked through that sort of skyway section without outside i sort of i guess it's more of the, the av geek thing to hear all the jet noise while you're drinking a drink and you know doing whatever you're doing and it was a bit too chaotic for me i just walked right through that you know i'm not that into it i guess it's a novelty more than anything but no i did love that lounge had a good few hours there with a with a buddy i'll be looking to hit one of those again too and i'm finding myself these days 
almost more interested in some of the sky clubs more than centurion lounges depending on the location yeah i haven't been to a lot of the new sky clubs obviously seen a lot of pictures i have been to one of them and i agree that they've really stepped up their product and the design is just beautiful in a lot of these clubs i mean they're really uh, spectacular i haven't been as much a fan of the centurion lounges lately because i just don't like the crowds so many of them are on lines now so that means that you're it's i don't mind the waiting part that's the least of my worries it's once you get inside if they're so full and that they have a line they're really packing people in and it just it becomes stressful and so you know maybe go in there really quick to get a meal you know i, I don't know i haven't spent a whole ton of time in centurion lounges as you know i love the the capital one lounge down in dallas but i'm glad to see like across the board and i said this on another show somewhere recently even you know american with their admirals clubs the united clubs across the board if you look at where lounges were 10 15 years ago we have great products. I mean, everybody's stepped up their game. And it seems like with Delta, they're even pushing it further. So maybe that'll get everybody else to uh, to join in. And then you have Chase building their own lounges now, Capital One building out their network. So it's like the competition is heating up. And I think we'll only get better lounges as a result. But the flip side is more and more people are finding out about lounges and they're becoming more crowded. So I see that as positive and a negative there is, you know, the lounge arms race is great. On a whole, I think we're getting better products, people trying to outdo each other. But on the same token, you have just as many consumers, travelers looking to get in. And how do we stay ahead of that? And that's the negative is it's going to take more work on the hobbyist part to stay ahead of it. You know, what's the next thing? What's the next thing I can get into before it jumps the shark and just becomes just this, uh, you know, basically a bus stop. So that's sort of the challenge and sort of the fun as well. Yeah, and there's one other interesting aspect when it comes to lounges and then we'll, we'll move on is that they are a scarcity, right? I mean, there's only so much space in these airports. And so as you get this more competition, um, they're bidding up spaces, they're spending more on just decor and everything else. It's becoming more expensive for them and it's becoming more of a, a product that they're gonna market heavily and, you know, the more they market it, the more people want it, the less space there is, and you go into this circle. So that's really the the issue is that a lot of these airports don't have space for lounges, and then you'll see a Chase announce a lounge, but it's fairly small, or they move in and they're overpopulated right away. Even the Capital One Lounge, when I was there last time in Dallas a, a few weeks ago, was on a wait list. That's probably a reality there every day now already. Not to mention the Centurion Lounge in that same airport on a wait list, the Club Lounge on a wait list, and you see how the story unfolds. Yeah, it never ends, but that's that challenge is part of the fun. So speaking of travel, you live in an area that a lot of people travel to on vacation. You know, you're in a place where in the summertime, everybody's heading down there to the beach. And is that why you chose it? Uh, you wrote an article about FI and how financial independence makes your travel cheaper. Yeah, that's right. And a part of that was talking about moving into an area that is tourism centric. So how has FI made your travel cheaper. I love I love the angle you take in this article and we'll put a link in the description so people can read more, but I would love for you to explain the premise. Well, in a few different ways, I don't want to overstate it, but there travel is clearly cheaper since we've uh, reached FI and one of those reasons is we have more flexibility. Sort of like, you know, you see the the retirees eating at the restaurant at 4 in the afternoon for the early dinner specials or whatever. I take that to an extreme as far as the travel angle goes, whether we fly in the middle of the week versus Fridays and Sunday nights, or, you know, some places are cheaper to stay during the, the weekend or during the weekdays, depending on the location. There's clearly some savings that can be had there by being flexible with schedules. Another aspect is we ended up moving to one of our previous travel destinations. We live on the mid-Atlantic coast, a place we ended up going a lot anyway to the beach. Basically cut out a big place we used up our points and miles. 
So, you know, we had those available for other travel options beyond where we live. So it's basically working out great there. And then also we're enjoying our day-to-day lives so much now that we don't feel the need to escape as much in the same ways. Like we don't feel the need to take huge, just over-the-top vacations. Granted, we like those every once in a while. We don't feel the need to do that as regularly as we did in our previous lives. Yeah, it's a good point to move to where you love to travel so that you don't have to travel nearly as much and then you'll be more content and uh, it makes things easier. Obviously, as you know, that can be dangerous too. You know, everyone, it would be great to live in Hawaii or pick your location, you know, but the practicality, the romance can wear off very quickly regardless of where you end up. And uh, you got to obviously be there for other reasons as well. And it's great that you were able to find a spot that worked, you know, on all levels for you as far as, you know, good for the family, where you wanted to be, where you like to travel, all of that. Because sometimes people like visiting places like Hawaii. That would be a great example, but they don't want to move there, right? So it's great that you were able to find a spot that worked for all angles down there on the Atlantic coast. So I like that article. We'll put it in the description. I wanted to talk to you about this. Did you see this week that uh, Starlux became bookable with Alaska Miles? And this went like, I don't know, insane in the Miles and Points community. And it was 60,000 miles one way in business class. And they have a very, very good product. I forget the name of the seat that they have, but it's among the best business class seats, very well reviewed. And uh, they fly out of Taipei. And I think the award space was Taipei to LAX, I think was the uh, was the route. And usually I just let this stuff kind of fly by, but I know I'm going to be in Asia next summer. The one thing people know about me is I hate to plan ahead, right? So here I am in July of 2023, trying to look at flights for May and June of 2024. And that really, uh, that's difficult, Benji. I don't know how people do it because I'm trying to like look at dates and trying to figure things out. Um, The good news is with Alaska, you're able to easily cancel. I think you lose that partner booking fee that they charge you. But I did find space and I locked it down for for next year for a trip to Asia. So we'll see. I couldn't find space flying LA to Taipei, but I found space for three people coming back. So, you know, I'll have to plan everything else uh, from there. But I, I, I think it's all gone now, though. It was so popular that there's no space for the rest of the calendar. I was about to say congratulations because you got it, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, is it just unavailable or did they actually bump up the rate? Yeah, so it's strange. I don't know quite how this is working. I have to maybe dive in deeper in this. Yeah, you're right. There are higher rates. I think it's a like 160k and i was seeing that when i was searching there would be days i would search and it would say business class available from 160k um, and then many days said 60k which was the i guess i don't it's i don't think it's the promo price but maybe that's what it was uh, but i believe that's supposed to be the normal price so maybe they have different you know saver and and higher level you don't usually see that with partners it's usually all or nothing um, but yeah you can still see space there but all the 60k according to multiple sources is gone so it's a good reminder like when you see something like that and you think it could potentially work for you, you know, look at what the rules are for cancellation. Look at how much flexibility you have. And if you do have flexibility, like in our case, I'll have to, if I cancel this, I'll eat the, you know, the what, $12.50 fee or whatever it is. That's fine with me. I still don't like booking a year out, but I did it anyway, and I'm glad I did. But uh, I feel like that is something that a lot of people could do better taking advantage of because I can't say how many times I've sort of like oh I'll think about that or I might do that and then it goes away quickly and then I'm kicking myself in the butt later and you know I can understand why people are you know upset about it it doesn't really affect us you know we don't travel or we don't plan out usually that far in advance we're a few months to several months ahead not necessarily you know 12 13 months whatever it is ahead to get these types of fares and it's a tough one if you're fairly confident though you just another example of a booking when you, you have the opportunity and being quick on it and 
and I definitely can understand this affects some people that really hunt for these excellent uh, deals more than others. That said, when we flew to Japan a few months ago, we flew for the same amount of miles using AA miles on you know Japan Airlines business class, last second booking. So if you didn't get this, just know there's plenty of opportunities. I think a lot of people are interested because they're seat nerds and this is a really good product and they want to try it. Starlux is an airline that a lot of people haven't flown, obviously, because it hasn't been as accessible. And now with Alaska miles, it is. And the other thing is, you know, if you are interested in this, keep looking back because a lot of people booked and they're going to cancel. They're not going to take the trips and then you will be able to hopefully find the space. I don't know what it is about Taiwan and their airlines because Eva Air is like so good. I've flown them in business class and just absolutely loved it. I love their lounges too, Eva Air. Have you ever been in one of their lounges? It's all like very Tron-like or at least it was a few years ago. It's been a few years since I've been in one, but they have like all these different LED lights everywhere. It's very Tron-ish. No, I have not. And their business class has like the starry ceiling at night. Uh, very good. They even give you pajamas in business class. This is Eva, not uh, Starlux, but great airlines there. And of course, Eva has the Hello Kitty, which is the best thing. If you're ever in Taipei, find the Hello Kitty gate. Of course, if you have the opportunity, fly the Hello Kitty plane. I've flown on the Hello Kitty plane, Benji, but they weren't doing the full Hello Kitty service. Uh, but they, it was the Hello Kitty route and everything that they had advertised. But for some reason, they weren't doing the full service. So we got some Hello Kitty stuff, but it didn't have like the every single thing, like the little toiletries in the bathroom and the little headrest thing and all that wasn't Hello Kitty but it was supposed to be so I don't know I got half the experience did you ever ask someone with you know being 100% serious excuse me this is not the full Hello Kitty experience I signed up for yeah they're like sit down American and stop complaining <laughs> we got we got no executive office uh, to complain to that's right one other thing that it's a really neat city and it's just an interesting culture and very friendly people amazing food smells sights there's even like a cool Picasso museum there that we randomly stumbled on with like hundreds of his drawings because Picasso was a very prolific you know drawer he made a lot of sketches and they you know just you never would have thought that you would run into that in Taipei of course Taipei 101 but an incredible place I want to go more around Taiwan and do a road trip and apparently it's a really cool place and the roads are very big and you know easy to navigate so I've only been in Taipei but I highly recommend it really love that place and the Hyatt next to Taipei 101 is okay. Not my favorite in the world, but pretty decent. And you get views of Taipei 101. It's a good location. So if anybody's going there, I would say I would recommend the Hyatt. Like it's not going to blow your socks off, but location is good and uh, you can see a lot. I think a lot of uh, people are going to be writing about Taiwan or else, or maybe they're just connecting elsewhere, but Taiwan's certainly worth a few days of your time. All right, Benji, we talked about choice earlier and this week they finally finished their integration with Radisson. I should say Radisson America. So what happened, what, like a few years ago, Radisson was purchased by a Chinese company. And I think that's important just for the fact that the U.S. government came in and somehow forced them to separate the Radisson properties overseas and the ones in America. And eventually those America properties are becoming part of choice now, while the Radisson properties everywhere else still remain independent. Is that right? Uh, that's my understanding. Yeah. And can make for a lot of confusion. And I think that's turned some people off of the program at least, but there's still some great features and reasons to keep up with, you know, Radisson properties, whether they're overseas or domestically, maybe more overseas than domestically. Yeah. Radisson is a strange brand. I mean, obviously we both remember the Club Carlson days way back when and that beautiful credit card that they used to have, which gave you that bonus award night. And for people who don't know what that was, if you redeem points for a free night or more, 
you would get a bonus award night. And so the best use of that was to do one night stay. So you would re, you know, redeem for one night and you would get a two night stay. So buy one, get one free, basically, if you did it like that. And a lot of us uh, enjoyed that back in the day, but the company has gone a long way since then. Obviously, as we said, been sold and split and all of that. A lot of people like to crap on Radisson, but they do have some interesting properties. Even in the US, we have some very nice Radisson blue properties. I think there's a really nice one in Chicago. There's a decent one, I think, in Mall of America, and I'm sure there's a couple other ones in the U.S. Internationally, there's some good Radisson Blues. In Europe, there's some very old, sort of sad Radisson Blues as well. And then, of course, my favorite brand, Radisson Red, uh, I think is such an interesting-looking brand. I won't say what my nickname for it is here on the podcast, but Radisson Red. So those are pretty decent. So there are some good properties. And then your beloved Country Suites. Uh, Yeah. Or Country Inn. Is it Country Inn or is it Country... What is... Oh, God, I forgot the name. It's been so long. Country Inn and Suites. Country Inn and Suites. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they stick around and or, or go and undergo a name change. And you're sarcastically saying they're my beloved Country Inn and Suites. There are some good ones, although I will say we're focusing on other redemptions with choice now. And, you know, essentially the choice changes are as follows regarding Radisson. Give or take, most properties are cost about half of as, as many points as what they did under the Radisson model on the high end some are even better value like even a less than half uh, for those properties on the low end uh, they might cost a little over half of what they did with radisson although i would say if you're focusing on the low end properties with choice and specifically the radisson properties that they bring you got other uh, work to do as far as researching that that's truly where you want to stay but that said i think some great options with choice and bringing in Radisson. Again, what some people perceive as the biggest negative with the Choice Privileges program still uh, exists, and that is the 100-day advance booking for award stays. So basically, you cannot book any free stay on points more than 100 days before your check-in date. And so, like I said, that's obviously a, a, a big limiter and a negative for some. I choose to think of it as a positive with the program. And the reason I think it's a positive is because it makes things just a little tougher and uh, a little more of a challenge for Joe Traveler to use. And, you know, that's probably an angle not many people take. A lot of people probably disagree with. But frankly, uh, with, with certain things in the hobby... If you make things too easy, it's going to be diluted, it's going to be chewed up, and it might be devalued even more quickly than it would otherwise. So I like that it's there's a, a little bit of a barrier to entry with choice in that realm as far as uh, award stays. I'd rather it be for the people who really put the extra effort in and can manage the program. And shamelessly, I know my own bias here, I have a lot of flexibility so I can work my way around that 100-day limit uh, more than other people can who need to approach this way in advance. From the business's perspective, I don't understand understand why they would want this. You would think they would want people to be able to book. Uh, you know, a lot of people are planning more than 100 days in advance. But yeah, I agree with you. It could be very advantageous if you're somebody who likes to do things more last minute. And certainly it's keeping people from locking up space, you know, nearly as long out. So I, I just don't know why Choice wouldn't want people to lock their points in sooner. Um, obviously, maybe it's, you know, a, a relationship with their hotels or whatever. But I, that's my least favorite quirk. It's funny how we fall on on different sides of 
that because that's not my my favorite quirk yeah like completely selfish i love it because i know that if i pay attention and look at stuff more closely i can make things work and clearly i feel like choice wants all the positives of their program but this creates some breakage you know people might not be paying as close attention to to the rules and policies of the programs and they're stuck with a lot of points they don't necessarily end up using because of this just another example of people who pay attention and can be flexible and work with certain programs and their wrinkles can really do big things and i think choice is one of those places and it's great right now we also got to remember that they have the power as any program does to change things when they see fit i bet the changes aren't done yet i'd like to see some sort of breakfast benefit come with the next iteration of the the choice program a lot of their hotels don't really have that they have the anarchy breakfast where it's included in the rate and you're better off just skipping it for some of their nicer properties it would be nice that elites get an elite breakfast benefit yeah, most of their properties have that uh, free continental breakfast, which is uh, suspect if you've ever had it. Stale bagels and uh, maybe some over-sugared juice or something like that. You're the one person at breakfast not wearing pajamas and barefoot. <laughs> With your luggage there. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know, listeners, uh, Benji has a, he has a lot of pet peeves when it comes to hotel breakfast, but we always make fun of him because one time he really got upset because people bring their uh, brought their luggage to breakfast, and he doesn't like that. Uh, but of course... Every once in a while, there's a lot of people in the MTM uh, team, and we all travel a lot, and sometimes we have to go to breakfast with our luggage, so we always make sure to send Benji a picture uh, whenever we do, just, just to trigger him yeah. a lot. The, the other thing about Choice, hey, they're Circus Circus, too. I have to mention it every time we mention Choice. Clearly. Is that uh, Circus Circus is part of Choice. So there you go, you Vegas lovers. I'm just kidding on that. You mentioned Joe Traveler. Well, uh, Joe Chung is in New Zealand, and I just wanted to update everybody. I asked him how the Sky Couch went, and he'll talk about this when he's back in a couple weeks. But he said, pretty good, stressful to get on, but New Zealand is nice, and the Sky Couch really helped the kids. And then he said, I quote-unquote suffered, but it was fine. So he's in New Zealand enjoying himself, and I can't wait to hear about the Sky Couch because that's such a unique product. It's a unique product, and I would argue it's an even better name to a product. It's exactly what it is. It just sounds cool. I want to do it. I don't know if I ever will, but Sky Couch. It sounds like something out of idiocracy, but at the same time, it's perfect branding. I just love the term. Yeah, I think the branding is great. It looks like a cool product, and I'm so excited that Joe got to fly it so he can tell us all about it, and he'll be back in a couple weeks to do that. So I wanted to talk about the Air France credit card because nobody talks about the Air France credit card. Admittedly, I'm not going to pretend that I'm up on the Air France credit card uh, as much as you are, uh, but this is a card that you think a lot of people should be talking about and doing, and I think you picked one up yourself, right? Oh, yes, and yeah, that's that's an understatement. I absolutely love the uh, Air France credit card from uh, Bank of America. Right now, there's a great offer on the card. It's an elevated offer, uh, 70,000 uh, Flying Blue miles in addition to up to 100 XP, which is Flying Blue's elite currency. It's normally a 50,000-mile card and a few... and substantially less XP. Now that offer's been going on for almost three and a half months, so you may want to jump on that sooner rather than later if you're interested. And why you may be interested in this card is that it's an outstanding card for domestic Delta redemptions, and uh, primarily on flights where you're not connecting. It can get a little more, more expensive when you're connecting, but if you're on a non-stop flight, rates can be substantially cheaper. For instance, I'm going to Atlanta in September, and even with 15% back miles with Delta, flights are pricing out one way over 20000 Delta just keeps raising, even with these 
these little things they do. And I was able to get that same exact flight on Delta Metal with Air, Fl- Air France uh, currency, flying blue currency, for about half that. So, you know, that's not outstanding, but when you compare it to the other options you have for the same flight, it is. And uh, so that's one aspect. They also have great promo awards. I forget the exact term for them for international travel that get released every few months. So you might want to check the Air France site for that. Uh, They also have a points pooling or miles pooling feature called Flying Blue Family. We've signed up for that. We haven't shared yet, but this is just another way of increasing your you're flying blue balance significantly for uh, anyone in the family to use. And they recently announced free stopovers with award flights. And that's also on partners and it's very flexible policy. And you know, they're, they're big. I'm a big fan of them right now. I've been a big fan of this card for years and they, it just keeps getting better. And uh, you know, obviously the program has some wrinkles as well. Definitely not for everybody, but it's one to consider. It's not a card that most people think of when they think of, Oh, I need, I want to get free Delta flights or close to free Delta flights. This is one option. And of course you have all the, options with Air France and their partners as well, which is huge. And Air France does have their uh, challenges, you know, as far as finding the right flights and eligibility, but it is substantial as far as options go. I really like Flying Blue. I've used them uh, occasionally for redemptions. You know, another good thing is that they are transfer partners with a lot of the banks so that you can top off your balance too. If you get these, they can be used uh, as part of something else. One thing to keep in mind is that with some partners, they have heavy fuel surcharges. So you got to watch out for that. Going to Europe on their own metal, it's not not as bad as some other carriers. Uh, so I've actually done that, you know, a couple times where it's, you know, $100, $150 or whatever in fuel, sur- fuel surcharges, uh, but it can definitely be much cheaper because as you said, they have those promo awards where sometimes the miles required are very low. So it's definitely a program to look at and it's a good card to look at because also this is Bank of America. So it's a secondary bank for a lot of people anyway. Bank of America uh, is not as big as Chase or Amex or even maybe City in this space for a lot of people. So yeah, this is interesting. Also, so it's an $89 annual fee. And they do give you 5,000 miles each account anniversary if you spend $50. I don't know if this is a card that a lot of people want to keep long-term. I guess it really depends on how much you're sort of uh, using it and, and everything else. But I always like when those cards have some sort of you know benefit to offset the annual fee. And this only requires you use the card for $50. So it feels like that's a, uh, a pretty nice little annual offer. To be clear with that, you know, those 5,000 miles and what you get back in return, if you're looking at cents per point, you know, which I don't usually do, but with those Atlanta flights, it more than makes up for the the annual fee there and what I would have paid for the flight otherwise. So that's one option. And full disclosure, I do want to say as far as fees go, that same flight to Atlanta, which would have normally had a $5.60 fee or surcharge, whatever, uh, with the Flying Blue Miles, it was around $16 or $17. So I am coming out of pocket a little bit more there. You know, it's, it's negligible. So not a huge deal. And finally, another thing I want to mention related to this updated offer, this current elevated offer, is that if you create a dummy booking, you can also get a $100 statement credit. So that more than pays for the annual fee for year one. Yeah, that's a great tip. So uh, I love that. Remember, like that was a thing for a long time with the dummy bookings and the even applying for cards. What was the bank that did all the shopping cart cards for all the little stores and stuff? One of the banks, it was like either, I don't think it was Comenity. I can't remember which bank. But there was a whole slew of like store credit cards that you could get, you know, like checking out. But the key was, and Dr. Credit used to write about this a lot, uh, and I forget what the term was for it, but they wouldn't run your credit. So you would 
you know, go into the shopping cart and it would say, do you want to apply for this? And certain stores were known that you could get these cards without getting a hard credit inquiry. And I don't know, there was some other, tra- I forget what it was, what it was called. So it's kind of off topic. My second guess is Synchrony, but I'm sure we'll hear otherwise. Yeah, it might've been Synchrony. It might've, it probably was Synchrony because uh, they do have a lot of the store cards. So many interesting plays that come and go over the years, but always nice to have that extra hundred dollar kicker on top of that. And it's a very, you know, valuable sign up bonus, annual fee, $89. You know, like you said, you get the credit, the 70,000 point uh, miles. You can determine what those are worth. Yeah, glad to bring people a different card and, uh, you know, a different perspective on it. Anything else that you wanted to cover today before we head out? Uh, no, I think I'm all set. And thank you for having me again, uh, Sean. Always looking to be uh, a help to you whenever you want me. And thanks again, everyone. Be well. Benji is our lead moderator of our MTM Diamond Slack. Obviously, he's a contributor on the site. You can see several of his posts there every week. He also co-hosts the Spending Time podcast in MTM Diamond. And that's the podcast where we talk spending, everything, spending, how to earn points, everything that we're doing. Uh, he co-hosts that with Ryan Flanagan. I'm on there once in a while whenever Benji allows me and then uh, we have a rotating people from the community that come in it's it's an amazing show and he does a great job with that we do have a couple slots I think a diamond open right now so patreon.com forward slash miles to memories as a reminder we do have the slack Facebook meetups and of course content including spending time which is by far the most popular show in diamond I think Benji yes and I undersold it I'm not good at plugging myself and thank you for doing that and for everything related to the show you can head to mtmpodcast.com I'm all over social media at miles to memories and if you head to mtmpodcast.com you can support the show there's links to apply for cards if you want to support us and also links for your podcast app to subscribe leave a five-star review all that good stuff next week pdx deals guy is going to be back we're going to talk all about his virgin cruise all of his european travel flying condor all of this good stuff uh, everything he's been doing travel wise in the last few weeks so stay tuned to that and then joe will be back talking all about his new zealand adventure in a couple weeks in the meantime Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.